0: Welcome to the Cardboard Herald Reviews, where we give you audio versions of our game reviews, and then go behind the scenes of our creative process. Welcome back to another episode of TCBH Reviews, and yeah, yeah, I know I'm late, but there's got to be a first time for everything, and this is a very busy time of the year with being holidays and everything, and we have so much going on, and there's no shortage of Cardboard Herald content for you to chew on while waiting for the next episode. So thank you for being patient. And you can always check out all of our stuff on our website, CardboardHerald.com. So speaking of this episode, this is another one of these audio pulled from video episodes where we have our hunt for the ring audio review coming from the video, which we just posted. And this is a game that is just about to come out in stores. It's been available at a few conventions. We got a review copy. I have so many thoughts. And while I'm going to go back to doing some of the narration of written reviews, I think next episode will probably be Terraforming Mars. I wanted to make sure that this one came out because it's timely. And I have so many thoughts. It was a really interesting Uh, creative process in order to get this review done so if you want to watch the video review and get the visual and everything go ahead and go to the YouTube channel Cardboard Herald search for hunt for the ring you'll have it there otherwise you can totally enjoy it everything should be covered in the audio here and if you got questions about the game or feedback on these audio from video episodes then let us know Cardboard Herald at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at Cardboard Herald so With that out of the way, let's go ahead and get to our review of Hunt for the Ring by Ares Games. Hey everyone! Some of you may know that I'm a huge fan of the works of J.R.R. Tolkien. I mean, I love The Lord of the Rings. Maybe a little too much, but that's okay, because as a board gamer, there's a plethora of options at my disposal should I want to get my Middle Earth on. And while there are many great games set in Middle Earth, it's War of the Ring and it's smaller but still awesome sequel, Battle of Five Armies, that reign supreme as the ones that have the most reverence for the written work of Tolkien. but. These games are war games. Not everyone wants to play them, and also certainly not everyone has the time to play these. There is a lot of game to unpack here. So when I heard that the same people who brought you these games were teaming up with the Letters from Whitechapel guy in order to make a Hidden Movement prequel to War of the Ring, I knew I was intrigued and I had to check it out, and it's here. And I'm here to tell you that this is a completely different type of game, yet at the same time has the same depth of strategy, the same reverence for the written work, and absolutely deserves to be in the War of the Ring line. I have so many thoughts on this game, but that's what we're here for. So today on the Cardboard Herald, we're taking a look at Hunt for the Ring by Ares Games. Like a mini-campaign, there are two distinct halves to hunt for the ring that can be played back-to-back or saved between sessions. Both games have the same basic flow, played on different sides of the board, with the fellowship player trying to secretly move the ring bearer from their start-to-end location, recording their movement using a journey log, hopefully covering up evidence of their quest and complete some deeds along the way. The shadow player controls four Nazgul, the ring race hunting for the ring, moving them along the board, trying to hunt for the ring bearer, Corrupting him to the point where the quest fails and the shadow immediately wins. During both games, the fellowship player is trying to get the ring bearer from one end of the board to the other, hopefully ignoring as much Nazgul encounters as possible because the more they find you, the more corruption they will hand you, and if you get enough corruption, then you will lose the game. Now, this is going to be different from one game to another because the first half of the game, you are going to play as Frodo, you are controlling the Ringbearer, evading the Nazgul, and hopefully finding some of these information tokens along the game. At the beginning of the game, you'll draw them, and they correspond to different locations. You move there first, and you flip them over, showing that you've been there. But if the Nazgul stumble upon those locations before you made it, then they acquire it, which makes them more powerful during this game and the next. Speaking of the next game, during the second half of the game you control Gandalf and this is what's really cool here is that the ring bearer is now controlled by a journey card that you selected at the beginning which will move him along corresponding to the turn, just as if you were controlling him, but on a set path. If he gets found while on a journey card, then you get to draw a new one here. And Gandalf's job is to move along the board, still hidden, but he's going to interfere with the abilities of the Ring Race, and he's also going to try and acquire these Gandalf Deed tokens, increasing your maximum corruption. Furthermore, if you really need it at great cost to the Fellowship, you can have them pop up on the board, springing all Nazgul back and saying, "None SHALL PASS. And this is a really important decision for you to make because it reveals a lot of information and you have to sacrifice one of your resource tokens that you can get like permanently. It's out of the game. But not only does it feel like it is really powerful when it happens, it feels awesome thematically. I love that. Aside from that, there's some cards that help out the Fellowship. You have these companion cards that are with you. They're your traveling companions and they give you a bunch of different abilities. But if you get corruption, you can always choose to sacrifice one in order to stave off some of that corruption, which really hurts as the Fellowship player. You're permanently losing out on something, but it's a critical decision that you may end up having to make before the end of the two games. The other thing is that there are these ally cards, one for game one, one for game two, that have a wide range of abilities in order to aid or interfere. And most often putting ally tokens on the board that can be impassable terrain for Nazgul moving in unless they choose to use one of their action dice in order to slay them. Speaking of which, So you want to be a shadow player, huh? Well, I don't blame you. Not only does it feel really cool moving all these little Nazgulies about the board, but you feel really empowered, like there's a lot of options at your disposal in order to search for the hidden movers in this hidden movement game. So first off, not only do all of them get to move and act every single turn, but you can always take the basic action of pointing at a location and say, has the ring bearer ever been here? And then you have these action dice which are rolled at the beginning of a round that give you various abilities based off of the face of the dice there's things like drawing and playing shadow cards or you can kill allies on the board you can move extra spaces or you can even do a perception where you point out a nazgul's larger section of the board and you say is the ring bearer there presently and even if you get a no answer then you have a huge amount of information and you can even narrow down that to a little subsection of the board. Now Gandalf does interfere with this in game two in that they can tell you that something is there. You don't know if it's Gandalf or the ring Bear, but. It's part of the fun. And speaking of game two, the shadow player is a little bit more consistent from game one to game two. They're pretty much doing the same thing, except for in game one, you're trying to find those information tokens getting a little bit more powerful every time. And then in game two, you have the ability to switch out one of your ring race with the Witch King of Angmar, who is awesome. Now, this doesn't always happen, and it may happen a few times because he goes away after a successful hunt. But this guy gives you an awesome gold die that's more abilities, and they are more powerful versions of the abilities that you had in the previous game. It feels cool how the Nazgul, the Shadow player in general, just gets more powerful as the Fellowship withers throughout the two games. Certain things will carry over from the first game to the second. There's the corruption level of the Fellowship, the amount of information tokens gathered, cards in hand, and even the character cards that managed to survive (laughs) into the second game all will inform your position at the beginning of the second game. Now you can play it as one epic game, which I love because the Lord of the Rings is epic. But for my current lifestyle, I appreciate that Gandalf's letter here, which is effectively just a bag that you shove components in, in order to keep track of where you left off is a very functional and thematic way in order to carry on one game to the next makes it a much more manageable about hour and a half session uh, in order to play through one half of the game. Now what i like about this game is that both sides feel mutually empowered to achieve their objective they feel like they have options at their disposal and there are really agonizing decisions about when to use dice when to flip over characters in order to get rid of corruption when to have gandalf appear on the board those are all really important strategic decisions that you get to make and i love that because so many hidden movement games don't have a lot of meat on the bones but this one does while at the same time at its core being a really effective cat and mouse game. Let's talk about thematic resonance. This game is so incredibly thematic, and that's not just because of the artwork in the game, which is beautiful and done by one of the most premier, world-renowned Tolkien artists out there, John Howe, but this also is just incredibly immersive in the mechanisms of the game every single thing that you do has some sort of source in the theme itself and that to me is one of the things that I love most about it like first off not only when you're searching for the ring as the Nazgul do you feel the presence of it because the nine the the ring race they are connected to the one ring so of course they'd be able to feel it out but then other things like strider he allows you to have extra journey cards because he led the ring bearers from brie over to rivendell and it's not just limited to the direct actions that you're taking the abstract concepts like the cards that you play in order to generate allies they make a lot of thematic sense i mean that Bolger is hanging out here in Crick Hollow while I don't know uh, Tom Bombadil and his Bay Goldberry yeah you know they're hanging about in the old forest that's where those tokens are going to end up getting placed on the cards that correspond to them the amount of love and care that was put into crafting this game is outstanding. So if you're a Hidden Movement fan, this has all the tension that you're looking for. If you're a fantasy fan, then this is a gripping adventure that you can appreciate and it'll come natural to you even if you don't know all the details of the written or movie adaptions. Now, if you are a Lord of the Rings fan or Tolkien in general, this game packs so many treasures in it that it is practically the Smog's horde of thematic resonance. This is an incredible presentation of Tolkien's work and very much deserving to be in the War of the Rings. Okay, so by now it should be abundantly clear that I love Hunt for the Ring. This game does so much mechanically and thematically that I just really dig. But there are a few things that I should mention if you're considering picking up this game. First off, this game is marketed as a two to five player game. And while it is technically true that you could split up the Nazgul and play with more than two players, I think this is part of a long tradition started by War of the Ring in lying about player count. This is absolutely a two player game that is a head to head game duel of wits between you and the Fellowship, or in the case of the Fellowship, you against the Shadow. And while I appreciate the option is there, it still feels like you're just diluting the options available to each Shadow player when you split it up. Not only do you share the same pool of action dice, but also you still only have a sum total of four Nazgul to move across the board, meaning that you're only playing half or even a quarter as much not to mention the amount of time that's going to be spent arguing over who gets to use what dice when and who's going to go in and look for the ring bearer or where they could possibly be the second thing that's worth mentioning is that these busts are really cool looking and add a sophistication kind of a classic look to this game that it deserves but while wow, I get that they have to differentiate these wraiths somehow, they could have used inlays, darker colors, rings around the bases, anything would look better than this. And the third thing worth mentioning is that there are a couple cards in the Fellowship deck that allow them to spend their tokens to cancel the effects of ring Wraith actions, one of which even cancels a sorcery card. If you aren't expecting this, this can be a huge bummer because each action is so critical, and if that's one of your cards that can bring the Lord of Nazgul into play, <sighs> brutal. Fortunately, now you know it's in there, and you can save your best actions for when the Fellowship is out of their nasty green tokens. In summary, Hunt for the Ring is a really dynamic hidden movement game with a great arc spanning across two separate sessions. Both halves feel cool and present new challenges, with the Fellowship feeling more powerful during the first half and the second growing stronger throughout. My biggest surprise was how well the clockwork Frodo worked during game two, using Gandalf to aid your poor ring bearers and interfere with the Nazgul as they closed in. Bottom line, both sides feel balanced, interesting, and fun. Alright everyone, so that is our review of Hunt for the Ring, a game that clearly I love thematically, mechanically, tokenastically. I love this thing. It does so many original things in the hidden movement genre, really empowering both sides to kind of gamify and, and add some meat onto the bones in a way that I haven't seen in other hidden movement games. Also, while I think this game is best if you're a Tolkien fan whether that be a fan of the Lord of the Rings movies themselves or you've been diving through the Silmarillion with reckless abandon since you were a teenager I think that this is still enjoyable if you are just someone who likes or is okay with fantasy it may bear out to be my favorite hidden movement game of all time for now it is absolutely one of my favorite games that i played this year it is original unorthodox and ultimately fun so the cardboard herald recommends the ultimately best at two player hunt for the ring by aries games Okay, so this was by far the most difficult review that I've had to do yet. This is including written reviews. This is including video reviews It is just bonkers. How much work I put into this hunt for the ring review. So I had to talk about it. I couldn't wait for six months down the road for a TCBH Reviews episode if we're putting these all up in chronological order. So here is me talking about this. Uh, Maybe just getting a little confessional or something. I don't know. Anyway, I I hope you enjoyed the review. Uh, I certainly really liked the game. And I I think that came out uh, very clear here, uh, even if there are a few caveats that I want wanted to point out but Otherwise, I am very, very positive on this, both as a fan of Tolkien's work and as a fan of board games and as someone who's had some frustration in the past with hidden movement games. I mean, I mean it when I say this is one of my favorite games of the year. So why did I have such a hard time with this review? Okay, so first off, even though I think that this game is cohesive as a two-part thing that even though it plays a little bit differently, differently, it it makes sense and flows, and there's a lot in the second game that is just extensions of things that you've already been doing in the first game, but still, that is such an unorthodox approach that it requires a lot of explanation, and you want people to understand that it is two distinct games that will have a slightly different approach to them. And being able to articulate that is really difficult in a review. Furthermore, one thing that I was very passionate about when starting out the Cardboard Herald and and as I developed my voice and my style, is I didn't want people to have had to play specific games in the past in order to uh, get information. So... What that means is I wasn't going to say this is like Fury of Dracula and here's why. Or this is like um, Letters from Whitechapel and here's why. Or how it's not like those games. Because if someone hasn't played them, then they don't have enough context in order to uh, form an opinion or or get a lot of use out of the review. And I, I get it. For people out there... Um, myself included, a lot of the times I, I like watching reviews, it's of games I've already played, and from there, it's an entertainment factor. You know, I I like getting more of the reviewer's opinion because I want to see how it measures up against my own. But I also want to be cognizant of the people who are just getting into gaming, or this is their first exposure to this specific game, and, and don't have as much context and it w- it feels unfair to not give them uh, a lot of uh, information that, that is independent of knowledge of other games. So why is this such a problem here? It feels crazy <laughs> to explain how hidden movement works without literally just reading some really well written rules from a rule book. And so I had a hell of a time balancing between uh, what is what is um, too much information and what is not enough information and to do so in an entertaining way. That was really hard on its own. Then there were other things that I, I thought a lot about. Um, Specifically, the the call-out for a card that cancels the effects of a shadow card, right? Which, the circumstance that I describe, where you can play that card and cancel the effects of a sorcery card being played, that happened in a game that I was playing with my wife, and it is a bummer when it happens. I had the ability to cancel her card that summoned the Witch King, and... That sucked for both of us, even though it was a great advantage to me. I felt like I was taking away one of the really fun elements of the game for her, and she wasn't able to draw another sorcery card later on. I don't think that's going to happen often, and I think that's part of a rookie mistake where she didn't know that I even had the possibility of playing that card, and uh, she in the future would be able to work around that by making sure I didn't have fellowship tokens available or making calculated risks that wasn't relying on that. But it still was enough to put a damper on that game. And every time that card came up, whatever it canceled, it, it still felt like it was denying a little bit of fun to the other player. And so how much of that do I include in the review? Is that too tied to, to my emotional response or is that is that something that would be important for everyone to have upfront? Is it too granular and specific or is this something that is going to be important for other people making purchasing decisions? And Ultimately, I still love the game, and I think you can strategically play around that, but it's something that felt like it could have been handled better in the design of the game, and it also was something that, that if it felt like a bummer to me in an otherwise really, really awesome game that I'm super hyped about, then it was worth being honest to other people that I had that experience, and they could judge for themselves how important that would be. And being able to articulate that in such a way that I wasn't trying to dissuade anyone from checking out this awesome game, but really just giving them the upfront knowledge in in how to prepare for a card like this and... You know, you could do whatever you want. You could take that card out of the game. You could make it so uh, that you play around knowing that that card is a potential to happen. Or you be as cutthroat as possible and just uh, accept the consequences that there are some brutal cards in the game and that doesn't bother you. Um, But trying to come up with the language for that and, and convey it in a way that was true to myself and authentic... That was really difficult, too. So these are the scripting issues, right? These are the things of coming up with the content that I was going to say in the review. And I think ultimately I nailed that stuff. But it took some work. So, some behind the scenes on how I do the video reviews is I try to come up with some structure in notes, just outlines of what I want to say. And then I try to keep it conversational with a, a script in my head of the overall what I, I want to accomplish in each shot. And with Christmas coming up and with my toddler being here, with out of town visitors. I was working on this review late at night uh, most of the time and that's because I, I don't have a open space where I can record uh, that is out of the way of the rest of my uh, family. So usually I'll wait until they go to bed or leave the house and for any number of reasons I couldn't make daytime recording happen here. So I was doing nighttime recording and... I did so many takes that I just felt frustrated and defeated on because they weren't working. And you know what? When you feel like you suck at something, then everything that you're going to do is going to be pervasive with that that feeling it's going to have that stench of suck on it and your self-defeating attitude is just going to make sure that every retake is going to be worse and worse because you're telling yourself you're doing terribly and that makes you do terribly but eventually I got some takes that worked and I edited the review and it had a lot of flaws in it I think I was talking really slowly because it was at night. I was overthinking it. I had this continuing feeling of defeat and this is terrible. (laughs) And um, I I took some space from it. I gave myself a little bit of time uh, because I didn't feel like this was my best work. So I wrote up some scripts for uh, some B-roll footage. I ended up recording those, and then I decided I was going to do some retakes. Did those. Those came out okay, and in that retake, I did the, the intro, which I think came out really great uh, with the War of the Ring and um, Battle of Five Armies boxes there. And at that time... I got done after working a few hours and then realized the footage I took actually showing off the game. The light exposure was all wrong, and this yellow board blended in perfectly with my maple table, and you couldn't see anything. And again, now I'm feeling even more defeated when I was starting to have a a slight uplift of positivity. So I decided, you know what... It's just about Christmas time. My family deserves me not to be stressed and just having a bad attitude about some review. So I decided to set it all to the side and just focus on Christmas and the holidays and family and friends and that kind of stuff. And that was a huge help. First off, it allowed me to get some perspective and look at things from a different angle. And second off is that my wife has the incredible ability to make me feel like I can accomplish anything and like I'm a superhero. And not in some like fake, uplifting, platitude way, but in truly making me feel like I I am deserving uh, to be a creative person in this world. And so she uh, got me for Christmas this shirt that... Uh, First off, if you haven't seen the Ralph Bakshi Lord of the Rings, you should go out and see it. It's a cartoon movie. It is only half of the Lord of the Rings, and he didn't get an opportunity to make the second half, but that's okay. The first half is incredible and crazy and completely (laughs) unlike what you may expect, but definitely a milestone in animation um and worth checking out if you're a Lord of the Rings fan or just an animation fan in general but she got me this shirt that is all the different storyboards from the making the like pre-production of that boxy Lord of the Rings it looks freaking awesome and it Combined with the other elements of Christmas, making me feel great and spending time with my family and being a good dad and being a good husband and and having the love and attention of my loved ones. And this shirt felt like destiny. And so I looked at the review again after Christmas was all said and done. And I said, here are the scenes that just do not work. Here's what I want to do with this. I'm just going to do some re-recording sessions, and nail it, and I did, (laughs) I had worked, you know, hours upon hours of recording and, and footage that didn't work in the past, and I think in, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes, I had the remaining bits necessary in order to complete the review, Uh, both some B-roll footage and uh, some um, of the the how-the-game-works parts. Those all worked, and I have gotten such an incredible response from the review since posting it that it's probably going to be the most popular uh, review that we've done yet. We've gotten a bunch of new subscribers, and it has reaffirmed that... I I have the capability to do this in spite of it being an incredibly difficult process and and frustrating. And I think it all comes down to don't record really late at night. And if you start feeling bad, get yourself away. Give yourself some space to breathe and get some perspective in whatever creative process you're working on. So that's the main takeaway. (laughs) Give yourself perspective. And of course, that Hunt for the Ring is a really cool game that I think that you should check out. And so I hope you enjoyed this review. There are tons of little Easter eggs that I Hope that you enjoy. If you check out the video review, you can find that on the YouTube channel. And all I can say at this point is I hope you have a fantastic and safe new year. And I hope 2018 is as great in general, in just the overall oeuvre of 2018, as 2017 has been for gaming. Um, 2017 outside of gaming, eh, you know... uh, Not so great, but that's okay. Some amazing things have happened, and always make sure to give yourself the perspective to focus on the positive things that are are awesome around you. Uh, Family, friends, and of course, killer board games. So... Uh, I'll leave it at that, and I think next episode is going to be Terraforming Mars. You can prep for it by reading the written review if you want, and I will talk to you as I talk to you. So thank you guys so much for listening. I've been Jack for the Cardboard Herald. As always, The Cardboard Herald is a completely free service focused on spotlighting games, gamers, and game creators. You can find all of our podcasts, including The Cardboard Herald and TCBH reviews, on iTunes, Stitcher, and our website. For more recommendations and reviews, you can also head over to our YouTube channel. We do not pay to advertise the show, so please continue spreading the word, following, liking, rating, and doing all the social media things. It truly does help us out a ton. If you'd like to drop us a line and maybe have your listener mail read on air, find us on Twitter, at Cardboard Herald, or send us an email to CardboardHerald at gmail.com, or click the contact link on our page. Once again, thank you for listening. I've been Jack for the Cardboard Herald, and you keep on gaming.